Hey there, Freedom Fighters. Listen to this. Joining me is Ryan Kuhn, an investment banker who decided he wanted to, to start a software company. Instead of going online and going, Where's gonna, where am I going to find my software co-founder, my technical co-founder, the person who's going to do all the work? He goes, I'll have to figure out how to code myself. He spent, what'd you spend, two years learning to code? Yeah. 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 It's crazy. And thank you for having me, Andrew. That, that was our experience. Like we were stuck here in Chicago in the Midwest. I didn't know anyone who could code. And so we said, look, we could go online, go that path. But we also said, hey, I, I know a few people who've gotten burned doing that. And I'd rather just learn it myself and roll up my sleeves and do it. And so uh, spent a lot, countless hours learning, learning, going through the hard old tutorial books, built a number of like really shitty uh, Twitter clones, which is what they teach you to do when you're learning. So um, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in that process, but glad we did it. Ryan, do you think that was, I should introduce you. Uh, Ryan Kuhn is the co-founder of Avail. It's the platform that simplifies the rental experience for landlords and also for tenants. Fair? Great. You, you nailed it. I invited him here to talk about how he launched the company and congratulations, sold the business. He's got the full story in him. We're going to find out how he did it. Thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're hosting a website, getting started in business, or frankly, just don't even like your hosting company and need a better one, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. The second, if you have a team of people who you're paying, employees, 1099s, international, local, whatever it is, go to rippling.com slash Mixergy. And I'll tell you about those later. First, Ryan, do you feel, do you regret that you did it? Do you think it was worth the two years of learning how to code before you got up and running? Oh, I think it, it was critical. I think critical to our success. And had we not, I would say it took a lot to build the company. And there were a lot of times where we wanted to maybe give up, frankly. And I know there's all the saying of sunk cost and sunk cost this, sunk cost that. But like, I, I kept looking at I invested two years of my life to learn to code, to launch this business. I'm not just giving up <laughs> now. <laughs> so in, in some ways, it was like those handcuffs that kept me, kept me in it and allowed me to persevere uh, when times got tough. Ah, okay. So in that sense, it's a, it's a benefit. But what about, do you think you would have done better to have spent maybe six months looking for a developer or finding a co-founder? I, I would also say no. I mean, I think that um, even to the day, even today, where we've got an amazing team of software engineers on staff who are building code, writing code every day, um, because I spent a couple of years actually learning it, I think our team has a, a greater level of respect for me, but I'm also able to communicate with them on a different level. And I wouldn't have that same um, same shared vernacular with them had I not invested the time in in actually learning their side of the world. All right, fair enough. Um, my goal is to understand how you did this, how you figured out what to create, how you built it up, how you got landlords. That's a tough market to go after, right? Um, and then also why you decided to sell. Let's just start with a taste of the end and then we'll go back into the beginning. Do you remember the day when you signed the agreement to sell? Of course, yeah, it was December 15th. Um, we're coming up on the three month anniversary. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been on my mind every day since. Did you do anything to celebrate? Did you get yourself anything you did? What was it? Uh, so didn't necessarily get anything, anything like physical or tangible. But um, that day, that evening, my wife picked up dinner from one of our favorite restaurants. We had a great bottle of wine, a bottle of champagne, and it was just a, a amazing way to, to end what was really a whirlwind, um, I would say, couple of days leading up to it, all of the, the news. I mean, actually standing here in my home office in slippers, delivering the news to our team. I mean, um, it was such a remarkable experience. You got into this partially because of a problem you experienced as a landlord. How did you get into owning rental property? Yeah. So if I go back, I mean, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. Um, family had a couple of rentals the, the entire time I was growing up. And then 
during college, I studied accounting and finance. I did what every most University of Illinois accounting grads do. And they go, they graduate, they move up to Chicago. They take a job on LaSalle Street working for a large bank. And so my first role out of school, I was an investment banking analyst working the crazy 90, 100-hour weeks, creating pitch books, working on deals um, and stuff. But that left me no time for a social life. So I was making admittedly pretty good money, but I had no time to go out and like spend it. And so I said, look, um, this was also during the, the 07, 08 financial crisis. And I saw just stock prices were plummeting. And I looked at it and I said, you know, if I'm going to invest this capital that I'm working all of these hours for, it may as well be in something tangible that I can go out and build wealth with. And so started investing in rental properties um, and had, a, frankly, a lot of fun doing it. But it wasn't quite as easy as the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad makes it out to be. So a lot of work goes into it. Um, Give me an I example. What's the hard the, part? The rental, the, the hardest part about rental, being very honest, isn't any one thing. It's that lingering like stress. It's that like constant just pressure around, am I doing things right? And when is the next vacancy? And what's the market doing? And when is that next 2 a.m. phone call coming in? And the 2 a.m. phone call is what? Someone saying? You know, the the water's leaking. The roof is leaking. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and and I'll, I'll, one, one tip for the, the listeners, um, that never happens. It, it's, it's myth. It doesn't happen, but there's this like ongoing stress and fear that it will. I know. I, you know what? We've kind of done that. I remember we had a party. Somehow somebody, it was a small dinner party at our place in DC. Somehow someone broke the toilet. I remember we lived in a building where there was someone to fix everything. And so we called downstairs. We had someone come and fix it. it we expected that out of that type of building. Out of our other rentals, we might have called the next day. So not three in the morning. Like we said, that doesn't happen. But that's still got to be stressful for the landlord to hear somebody say, the toilet's broken. I can't go to the bathroom in my own house. Now it's on you, buddy. You fix it, right? Yeah, you've got it. I mean, and especially for individual landlords, they want to do the right thing. They mm -hmm. Like all of us, um, I think landlords sometimes get a bad rap around, oh, they're just greedy, like money-hungry folks. Well, no, at the core, we're all just individual people. We want what's best for our renters. Yeah. Okay. And so you had this whole fear. The other one that you had was, did I even charge? Did I remember to pick up the, the rent? I wouldn't have thought of that, but you know what? Most landlords don't use an invoicing system. They're not using FreshBooks. I can't remember. Did I charge my, my advertisers and I have to go into FreshBooks or well, we use QuickBooks now to go and see it. And you don't have that. So that was another headache. All right. Meanwhile, you're in school. Is it worth the Ajita to, to have rental properties? Was it worth it financially? It was. I mean, I think rentals historically have proven to be a great tool for building wealth. I mean, you look at some of the most successful, wealthiest families in the country, um, a large percentage of them have, become, have gotten to that place with rentals. Okay. Um, and it does pay off. Um, there's some additional work and lack of liquidity. You can't just go into your, your Ameritrade account and hit sell. I mean, yeah. it's a little harder than that, but yeah, it pays off. All right. So you're doing all that. Meanwhile, you're in the finance world and you're not loving it. Can you give me an example of like a typical day or something that will help me see why you didn't love it? <laughs> well, yeah. So if, if you can imagine you're, you're a few years out of school and you're in your mid, mid to late twenties and you're, you're working these 80, 90, hundred hour work weeks and you're cranking away at Excel financial models. You're um, whatever the managing director who's the head of the group says, like, hey, we, we've got to meet next week with XYZ company and we need materials and we need a model and we need all the comparables. Um, but, but you've had this like vacation plan. You were planning on going away for the weekend, going down to Austin with a group of buddies, 
uh, to go out party on sixth street or rainy street or whatever. Um, and on Friday afternoon, you get a call from that like managing director in the group. And he's like, look, Ryan, I'm sorry, but you got to cancel that trip. You got to work all weekend. And there, you reach a, a certain point and every, everyone who started their career in banking has had this experience, unfortunately. And, um, that that's kind of what makes the finance world work is that there are these like people doing this work. Um, I just ultimately found decided for myself, life's too short. Don't want to waste it doing that type of work. I also remember going into, into finance classes and wanting a finance career with this vision of what they'd get to do. And then eventually I got an internship and a job and the reality of it was not nearly the same. You know, that what they get to do is become like Henry Kravitz, put buy orders on Nabisco, get to buy the whole company for pennies on the dollar. What they actually end up getting to do is what you described. Do they make good money? Absolutely. But it's good enough money to have a really good house in, uh, I don't know, in the suburbs, a really nice one, great car but you're not leaving anything behind. You're not building anything for yourself. You're facilitating other people's things with a chance of getting rich. And then you realize rich is not so rich when everyone else in Connecticut is that rich too. And what can you really do if you're always going to be called out? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not fulfilling. You're not actually building anything. Like with a veil, I imagine you get a handful of landlords, maybe a thousand landlords are on your platform. Unless you suck for them, the next month you could hope to get a, a thousand one hundred and keep building up from there, right? And be better for them than you were for the first hundred, and leave something behind, right? That's yeah. yeah. All right. So then you're there and you say, I don't need this anymore. I got to get a company. I got to do something else. You then think back to how you used to have this problem. And think maybe this is the problem that I should solve. I'm imagining you still had it, right? Because you were still a landlord while you were working finance. How did you reconnect with your co-founder who you went to school with? What was it about him? Yeah, so Lawrence and I had gone to school together. We actually met um, and got to know each other doing group projects during a real estate finance class. And so we had this shared interest, shared passion. And even while we were both separately working in finance, we had stayed in touch. And there would be things like, I would call him up and say, hey, Lawrence, uh, the city of Chicago just passed this new rental ordinance. How are you handling it? Uh-huh. Or can you send, like, I know you just paid, a, paid an attorney to draft up a, a new lease agreement for you. You mind flipping me over that template that you used? Um, and so it was just this constant, like we, we were, we were experiencing the same pain points and we were trying to figure out there's gotta be a better way to be these part-time landlords and we couldn't find it. No one had built it yet. Is there a community, an online community for, for landlords who own a handful of properties to be able to do what you're talking about? Or is it all just as informal as what you had with Lawrence? It is. This this audience, Andrew, is so massively fragmented. I mean, there's 8 million individuals in the U.S. who own and manage rental properties. And I mean, there, there's no good central point where they all come together and collectively negotiate or collectively work together or share best practices. Right. And that's really part of what we're trying to build here at Avail. Is it, is it more than just software? Are you thinking Avail is also going to be the community where someone who has a property in San Francisco gets to talk to someone else in San Francisco and say, what are the new laws about raising rents? Yeah, so that is actually something that we, we kind of beta launched about a year ago is this Avail landlord community. And so not only are landlords coming to Avail for the, the functional tools that we offer, they are engaging with each other, sharing best practices, um, maybe selling properties to each other. I don't know. You know what? I didn't see it on your homepage, but now I did a deeper Google search and I see it. Community.avail.co used uh, Jeff Atwood software. I forget what it is. Got it. So that's now becoming that place where they get to go and talk to each other. Here, Here's one. Broken water lines. Landlord question. <laughs> 
Glenn McGinnis asks a question and includes a photo of the damage done to his property. <laughs> okay. All right. So you said, this is it. You get together with Lawrence. Why Lawrence? He's not a developer. What is it that the two of you had that you felt like we need each other to do this? I think the, the number one thing when seeking a co-founder, you have to be able to trust that person. And because Lawrence and I, at that point, had known each other for about 10 years, we had worked together. We had also invested in a couple of things together. We said, well, we, we know each other. We can rely on each other. Um, we're not going to always agree, but at the end of the day, we trust each other. So that, that for us was first and foremost. Everything else you can, other skills you can acquire, but you can't really go out and acquire trust. All right. Before I ask you what the first thing you did after you learned to code was, I want to know, well, let me do a sponsorship ad. Help me out here. You're, you're a marketer, right? You're a person who has to explain tough ideas to customers. My first sponsor is Rippling. I kind of, the problem that I have with explaining what Rippling is, is that it does two things. One is it's HR software that lets you pay your people, no matter whether they're contractors, employees, if they're local, if they're international, whatever. And then the other one is they do this whole IT thing. So if you hire a new person, Ryan, at Avail, you want to give them a new email address, you want to set them up in Slack or whatever software you're using. And then if you fire them, you want to quickly be able to take all those privileges away and all those accounts away from one place. And so they do both. I've been thinking, do I just talk about one and let people discover the other? Do I say both and maybe risk confusing, but also give people a picture of why Rippling so special? What do you think? How do you handle that type of thing? Yeah. I mean, we've got that problem on steroids, right? With Avail. We don't, we don't have one or two things. We have five different, essentially front doors into our product. Okay. And that's how I, I would think about it with pitching Rippling is, hey, they've got these two front doors into their product. And whether I go to Whole Foods for bread and I, I stay for the uh, dairy section or I go for dairy and then I pick up my bread, like I, I would think about it that way where... So uh, instead of pitching the whole thing, pit, focus on one and maybe say, and they also have this other one and just leave it there. And then in the next ad, focus on the other one and then say they also have this first thing. Okay, that's good advice. And for a, anyone out there, A-B test the It's hard to A-B test because it's uh, the problem with podcasting is I'm just going to be put planting a seed in someone's head. And truthfully, Ryan, they're not going to go and sign up as soon as they hear this. What they're going to do is they're going to think about it. Then they're going to be frustrated by something a month from now. They'll live with it. Then two months from now, they'll say, didn't Andrew say something? What was that? Oh yeah. All right. Let's go try this thing. And they'll go to riffling with F's instead of P's. And then they'll end up on rippling.com and then go, wait, maybe we should give Andrew the credit. Maybe there's some benefit. Let's throw a slash mixer G and then right? it's tough with that. All right. But the upside is for podcast advertisers is they do end up getting the customer. The customer becomes more loyal, pays more attention and, um, and they get branding from it. So, all right. If you're out there listening to me and you want to demo and see this or any of their other features, go to rippling.com slash Mixergy, rippling.com slash Mixergy. All right. How did you know what to put in the first product? I know you put a lot into it, but where did you get the ideas of what should go in? Well, I think we had, we had lived the problem that we, we were aiming to solve. Um, and so because we had been these independent DIY landlords, we knew exactly what we wanted. And our one mistake that was in there was assuming that what we wanted is what everyone else wants. And what I wanted as a landlord was this end-to-end -end set of tools that would do A, B, C, D, E, F, G when, and, and we just way over invested in that minimum viable product. I mean, it's what was embarrassing it looking back at when you say ABCD, when you went through the list of, of features, what was on that list? I mean, so as a landlord, let's say you, you have a single family home, um, that you're looking to rent out. Well, the first thing that you need to do is you need to list that home on sites like realtor.com, Zillow, apartments.com. You need to get renters for your, your unit. Okay. Then you need to manage all those leads. Right. Okay. You need to schedule showings. 
you need to then, um, I think that you still do it now, do background checks on people, right? So then there's that, okay. Background check, then lease agreements. You need to be able to customize and digitally sign leases. Oh, you even did like the hello sign signature thing, DocuSign, you did, okay, all right, what else? Well, and Andrew, we, we didn't unfortunately like use DocuSign or hello sign. We built our own e-signature tool. Yeah, that's shocking, like, okay. I, Mind blown. But by the way, those are huge. HelloSign only does that little thing. Huge company, great exit to Dropbox. Okay, so you did that too. Yep. And then the fourth thing that we did is uh, rent payments. So moving money from renter to landlord, both with ACH or debit or credit card. And we can report those on time payments back to the credit bureaus to help people boost their credit score. Got it. Okay. And then lastly is helping that guy with his broken water, water pipe track and manage all the maintenance issues for a home. Yeah. That was our minimum viable product. <laughs> this is actually, as I see, I'm looking at the first version of the site back when you guys called it Rentolutions, rental, like rent solutions. Got it. Rentolutions. Yeah. I see that just is a list of things and, I don't know where my eye would go on that first page. When you finally built it, was it good that first version? Beyond, was it confusing? It wasn't even good. You didn't, what? It was awful. And then you took it out. You used it yourself first, right? Yep. For your properties. Then you went to your friends and you said, you've got property. Would you mind using this? Yep. What, what problems did they have? Did it feel awkward? I mean, it was the first, first iteration of the site was buggy. Um, it would crash on people. They would be logged out. They would get 404 errors. They would, I mean, it was and anything and everything. Um, that, that first iteration is embarrassing to look back on. I wonder if you were to think back on it, what would you have focused on? Which feature? I think we, we in hindsight, we would have A-B tested it. We would have probably set up five distinct landing pages and probably tried to drive. We would have said, we're going to spend, call it a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars to try and drive traffic to each of those five and try and test and say, Hey, we, we blew through that thousand dollar budget in a day on rental listings, but no one gives a F about the, the maintenance feature. Like that one, we've still got a, got the full budget. No one, no one's Googling it. And so, um, and probably and, would have iterated into it. And now that you've done all these, which is the one that's the highest value that you would launch knowing what you know now? I've got two answers to that. Okay. So number one um, is what gets people in the door. So I mentioned this like foot in the door, kind of get, get them in the door and then upsell them. It's that rental listings. Yeah. And that's the time then, when, when you're out looking for something, right? Where everything is changing in your life. You want to do this right from the beginning. That's when you're shopping around for software. Okay. That makes sense. What you don't get with that is recurring revenue, but you've got an, a door, an entry point, and then you could build recurring revenue. That's one answer. What's the other answer? It is that retention piece. And what do landlords need to do each month? Collect, Collect rent. rent. So you would have then Fair. done the like the fresh books for rent. Make sure that people get invoiced. Make sure that they could pay. Got it. Okay. Meanwhile, you took it out to people. You got those reactions. It must have been gut-wrenching to watch your friends tell you this doesn't work or to tell you problems or worse, to not tell you about problems and you know that they exist. Yeah. I mean, our, our early, I mean, earliest users, a couple of them struggled through and have been with us for, I mean, years and kudos to them for having persistence to get through all of, all of the awful early versions. And then we just had some people who, unfortunately, they looked at it and said, this, this isn't doing it. This isn't what I want. And yeah, they're, it was painful hearing that. Um, you told our producer, we would watch what new users did. Like we would say, hey, you click this, but you didn't finish that. 
How helpful was that to be able to go through and ask them, why didn't you finish this? Why did you do that? Yeah, I think that user feedback is so important. It's so critical being able to really um, just stand over someone's shoulder and really try and get inside that user's head around what are they thinking and, and talking with them. I mean, there, there's no way to re- replicate that. You also said to our producer at the the month before you and she spoke, you said last month we put we got eight thousand new customers onboarded. We definitely can't do that anymore. By the way, eight thousand freaking landlords onboarded in a month—that's huge, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's crazy thinking about like I go back to month one, month two of building the company, and like uh-huh. we'd sign up like maybe five landlords a month. Well, yesterday we signed up four hundred. <laughs> That's unreal. The the scope, the ability that you guys have to grow. All right, let's come back to that. So when you have so many different things that you're doing and so many different features and bug requests, uh, bug bug reports, how do you know what to fix without being overwhelmed? How did you get the product to the point where now 8,000 people in a month, 400 people in a day would say, we want to sign up? What did you do to improve it so much? I, I mean, I think it's just that persistence that we go back to it. It's like, look, every day we have to just get a little bit better. So was it across the board every day, a little bit better? Or did you say, we're going to prioritize this one thing. We realize that the best thing we need or the, what's bringing the most customers is, is helping them list and rent their properties. Let's just hack that until we get every bug out of the way. Is that what you did? Or did you do across the board? We'll solve problems as they spring up. Yeah, we've, we've done kind of a hybrid. So early on, and for a number of years, we would iterate through that product funnel. So we would say, we're going to do a three-month deep dive and improve everything around listings. The next three months were everything around that tenant screening, next three months were leases, next three months rent payments. And then all of a sudden, it's a year has gone by. And it's been a year since we visited listings. And so it's time to go back there. Um, that We did that cycle for a few years, believe wow. it or not. Without, now we're, uh-huh. we're a little more targeted about um, kind of looking at funnels and where do people drop off. Without saying we're giving up any of these features, why didn't you say, you know what? No one seems to care about this one feature or maintenance request. They'll be okay with handling the phone. Let's remove it and we'll come back to add it later. Why not? Because even though a lot of people were not using it, some more. Some people were, and, and those people were getting value out of it. And we didn't have the wherewithal to cut it and take that away from those people. We felt it was our duty to continue serving and providing them with those tools that they had come to build their business on. By the way, Ryan, why is, why is that such an important thing? Wouldn't most tenants say the pipe burst? I'm just going to go and call my landlord. I'm, it's their responsibility. She's going to handle it right now. I'm not waiting for any online tool. Yeah. A, a big part of that is the ability to have have records and be able to track it and have that paper trail. Um, that's the biggest thing that both landlords and tenants appreciate is um, they, they go to court and say, hey, mm. I submitted this ticket three days ago. And the judge says, prove it. And they're like, well, here's a phone. Like, I, I don't know. Right, do right. Let me go through my text messages and see where I said it. Was this clear enough or did it happen on a phone call? Got it. All right. That makes sense. So a tenant says, I want to put it in. And then I want to know that they're, they know that now it's being watched. Makes sense. All right. You, um, in those difficult times, how did you and Lawrence keep each other going? <laughs> um, I mean, I, one of the amazing things about having a co-founder, and by the way, I think every entrepreneur doing building their company should potentially think about having a co-founder. Um, one of the amazing things that I've found with Lawrence over the years is there, everyone has good days and bad days. We just so happen to, I, w- I would zig when he would zag. Yeah. And I'd be down, I'd be, I'd be ready to give up. And he'd just have, you know, had a breakthrough at the product or marketing and he's on top of the world. And we would level each other out in such a way that 
really made for a powerful combination and led to us not giving up. I found that the best relationships I've had, not just work relationships, but life relationships, it feels like pedals where I'm really down, they're fully up. And then we switch positions. And by switching like two pedals, we keep the thing going instead of stopping and feeling bad for myself. Um, all right. So you can't on- steal that. <laughs> Do it. What's, what's the lowest point for you personally? Lowest point for me personally um, was, and it's hard to pinpoint an exact point, but it's, if you go back, I mean, or I, I guess I can share a couple of things. So number one, um, by that's a few years ago, I mean, I'm now in my early to mid thirties, right? And a lot of my friends who I had started my career with, like they're now reaching the upper levels of, of finance yeah, and they're well into making, you know, mid high six figures a year and they're doing well, they're crushing it in their careers. Um, and I'm still banging away at code and working day and night trying to build this company. Um, so I think at times that can get, get people down. Um, and then I would say the, the other thing um, would be um, just around, you know, when things didn't go well with whether it's partnerships or investors or customers. And I would be sharing our story about, you know, building X, Y, or Z with an investor and to get that like rejection email would be somewhat, mm. especially with some of them, those stung. Did you use it to fire yourself up later on? Like I'll show them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the funny, I mean, even in still today, I, I find that um, there's a couple investors that um, weren't particularly helpful along the way. And um, I, I, whenever I kind of see the name come up, it's like, okay, it's time to like really work extra hard right now. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about my second sponsor. Usually Ryan in these ads for HostGator, I ask the guest for an idea, but let me throw out an idea of my own for how to use HostGator. I feel like for you, if you were to say, Andrew, how could I even use HostGator? Here's what I'd suggest. The, the story of a landlord would be an interesting podcast. Imagine if you decided you were going to do landlord interview podcast you just reach out to your customers and say, I want to know how you got into rental. I want to know how you handle these issues and just make an interesting conversation for new landlords, for experienced landlords to hear how other people handle the issues that they have to cheer them on when things win and to see the possibilities, to hear their frustrations and realize, oh yeah, I could avoid that. Or oh, I go through that too. That would be interesting. It doesn't take much time to record a conversation. You put a little bit of effort into researching them. You put a little bit of effort into recording the interview, but after an hour, you've gotten to really understand someone. You learn more, you publish it on your site. It becomes its own standalone thing that then brings in more potential customers and helps feed your community. If you were decided to do that, I would say go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy because if you use that URL, I get credit, but also because you get the lowest price from Hostgator and then you just throw up a simple WordPress site. You start asking people to do interviews. You could host your podcast on Libsyn, you know, where the actual audio files are uploaded to Spotify, to iTunes, to everything with uh, one click because Libsyn will do it, but have your own homepage where you promote it, where you get to show it to potential guests, where your audience gets to discover you. And then through that, they discover a veil. What do you think of that idea? I'm writing it down right now. Seriously. If, if you decide Ryan, that this is something you want to do, Put me together with whoever's on your team or me and our Ari, our producer, will do it. We will lay out the whole process. It doesn't have to be a headache. Just like, here's how you run through guests. Here's how you make sure that they know what's coming up. Here are the tools, boom, and you get it up and running so that Ryan just sits down in the seat, has a doc, knows exactly who the guest is, helps the guest shine, and then the audience gets to know Ryan and gets to know the business. All right, there you go. And- even if I would do that for you and anyone in my audience, even if you don't use HostGator, the reason I suggest you use HostGator is it just freaking works. It's inexpensive and it'll grow with you. HostGator.com slash Mixergy people. All right. You continue to grow. At, at some point you did raise money. The first raise, what was that like? 
So our first, first, very first capital raise, um, we went out to friends and family. We um, were in the Midwest. There's um, Midwest is a little bit different than, than out in the Bay Area. Um, in order to actually raise any, any amount of kind of real money here in the Midwest, you have to not only have an idea, have a product, but you've got to have like six, seven figures of revenue. I mean, in order to get venture capital here, it's like the bar is, is stupid high. Um, so we went out, we, we, um, Lawrence and I put money in early on. We then raised from friends and family, um, did that a couple of times. And then we were ready for professional money after already investing four years of our life into the business. And then you raised 4.2 million Series A um, from a St. Louis uh, VC firm, Cultivation Capital, right? Just months before you sell the business. Yeah. All right, we'll get into the sale in a moment, but in order to get them to take to take you seriously, you had to build up your customer base. One of the problems that you've had with Avail was there is no real community for landlords. If I wanted to, in the early days, get new listeners of my podcast, I can go to Hacker News, there are Reddit forums, there's now there's indie hackers. I can name tons of communities. In fact, too many, you get distracted by them. For you, what did you end up doing? For us, we, we more or less like, AB tested our way into growth. And there were a number of ways, number of things that we tried. Most of them failed. Um, but there's a couple of things that we stumbled upon that worked really well. Um, the one in particular is content. Okay. So these independent landlords, first time landlords, um, a lot of them don't know what they're doing. They've got full-time jobs. When rent doesn't show up on the first, what do they do? They they go to Google and say, uh, hey, how, what do I do if rent is late? And early on, we had created some blog posts, some educational content that said, if rent is not paid on time, step one, call your tenant. Okay. Step two, ask them, like, did they forget? It's, it's like basic, bare, like really basic stuff, but um, no one else was doing this. And so our content quickly got picked up in Google um, and early on and even still today drives a significant amount of traffic and new user signups for us. Um, and that was you figuring out SEO? In the early days, it was just you saying, I think this is what they're going to care about. I'll write it. Who's the person who dug in there and said, we're going to figure out search engine optimization? I mean, that was also my co-founder. That was Lawrence and me. I mean, wow. we were both writing code, writing content, and trying to figure out how do we optimize this for Google and what books, what tutorials can we watch on YouTube around SEO? I'm looking to, uh, I'm, I'm on SEMrush just to get a sense of what's going on. It looks like you're even getting traffic from Bing. Is that an intentional thing for you guys? It is a little bit. I mean, there's there's some people who are still using Bing as their go-to search engine, mm -hmm. um, and we we believe in building a an inclusive platform. And so, um, even those folks who are using Bing, we want to make sure that they can find us. Why is Apartments.com sending you traffic? Uh, one of the one of the features that we offer is the ability for landlords to come to avail and um, create a listing for their property and send that listing over to apartments.com with the push of a button. Ah, okay. And then when we do that, there's some traffic that kind of comes back our way. And is it because the listings then also refer to an avail.co link? Ah, got, got it. it. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, is that something that's, that's public? I feel like I've maybe entered a spot with you where you're not comfortable. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, you're, you're fine with that. Everyone. Yeah. Did you work it. out any, any partnerships with any sites to get customers? Are there partnerships there? Or is it just advertising and content? For the most part, it's advertising and content. Um, it really is. Now that we're part of realtor.com, um, realtor.com has a massive consumer audience and has started merchandising avail and there's avail links 
on, on realtor.com and a couple of places. Um, I wish that we could have gotten them as a partner before the acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, probably would have increased our revenue numbers, increased user numbers. Yeah, I see them. They're, um, they're starting to grow in the amount of traffic that they're sending over to you. They still have not be- beaten doorsteps.com or DuckDuckGo, but realtors climbing up there as far as traffic, right? Yeah, they're climbing and Realtor also owns doorsteps. And so oh, um, I see <laughs> it's right. another one of their uh, one of their properties. We should then get into the sale. You from early on said, I'm gonna think about this as a business that could be sold, right? And how does how did that dis, how did that impact your decisions day to day and the way you structure the business? Well, I think that when you raise outside capital and you take money from investors, you owe it to them as the CEO of the company to um, always have in the back of your mind, I've got to do what's right for for me, for my team, and for our investors. And so um, along the way, had optimized for those things. Um, And so that impacted day-to-day in the sense that I was always mindful and kept a list of who are the potential acquirers and how do I consciously build relationships and deliberately build relationships with those people within those companies so that if and when they ever decide to go out and want to enter the rentals category, for example, that they think of us. What's, uh, what's an example of how you did that, of how you stayed in touch with someone on your list? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's somewhat basic networking where um, I would, pre-COVID, I made, a, made goals around traveling and, and spending a certain amount of time in whether it's San Francisco, New York, Seattle, um, different parts of the country where some of these bigger companies are headquartered and reach out to people and say, hey, I'm going to be in San Francisco next week. Um, Can we grab coffee or a beer? And um, just build those relationships. And when you see them pop up on LinkedIn, you message them or like like what they post. I mean, um, it's hand-to-hand, like just building good relationships with good people. How did this sale come about? I mean, if you'd raised money in July and sold, when was it, December? of 2020. That's pretty quick. Where did the, where did this all originate? Yeah. I mean, we were, we were not actively looking to sell. Um, and so when, um, we had raised capital, we had, um, coming out of COVID miraculously, we had a couple of unplanned months of profitability. I mean, we <laughs> Our, our business, and I feel a little guilty saying this, like we, we grew stronger during COVID. Why? Um, and Why so your we were, business? That's not obvious. Well, I think, I mean, through COVID, everyone was looking to go digital and even things like rent payments. Um, there was a shift towards digital payments. Um, and so that was something that we benefited from. Um, and then, so, so we weren't looking to sell, but um, within a couple of organizations, they, they did say last kind of summer and fall, we got a few inbound um, people who I had relationships with reached out and said, hey, we're looking at this category. Are you open to talking? Why do you think there were a few people who are interested in the category suddenly in 2020? Well, I think that rentals, I mean, roughly a third of Americans rent their primary residence. And a lot of the bigger companies in the space, um, big, well-known name brand companies, um, historically had ignored the rentals category. Um, Realtor.com was one of them where they had not uh, invested a lot in rentals. And somewhere along the line, they had a strategic decision and they said, this is an area that we want to invest more in. Was it also that, oh, so it's the rental market that they were interested in. It wasn't the management for uh, the landlord management model. It was the, the rental itself. 
Well, I think there, there's a handful of things where um, they all, and, and it makes good sense where these, these big companies are looking at the service um, home, home buyers, right? Mm-hmm. They're looking at who are home buyers five years from now? Well, they're renters today. Mm. Um, so there's this like further up funnel um, type of approach. And I mean, even Redfin, who uh, I believe last week or a couple of weeks ago announced their intentions to, to purchase RentPath. Um, I mean, they've, they've been talking publicly about this opportunity. And so I think number of companies, um, it is a big, um, big opportunity. I would have imagined that apartments.com would have been one of the suitors because the thing with apart well, the thing with apartments.com is often they get people to list, but they don't have that ongoing relationship. If they if they work with a veil, and obviously if realtor now, does realtor have a rental marketplace? Yeah. So um, you or anyone in the audience, you can head over to realtor.com and and look for rental properties. Okay. So they're in the same boat where they, if they have a veil, they have a sense of what's coming on the market because suddenly rent's not getting paid or things are happening that trigger the, the, the sale. And now they can start to work with the company throughout the, the rental experience when they list during the, uh, the management process. And then when they come back and list again, all right, what a great acquisition for them at your height. How much revenue did you do before you sold? Yeah, I, I, we can't talk specific numbers, but we were, I mean, growing quickly. We were a venture backed company. Um, we were doing well, I mean, mid, mid seven figures, I'd say. Okay. All right. And then the acquisition cash or, or stock? Um, it was, or can you say it was cash? It was cash. Wow. So now life has not changed. You're still in the office day to day. You're still dealing with all the issues, still dealing with fraud issues. From time to time. I mean, what's the big fraud gotten, in this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the, or there's really two areas of fraud where um, number one, and this is awful that this occurs is um, individuals will go on to a site like Craigslist, for example, and they will pull photos of a home. And let's say this home at 123 Main Street you, Andrew, you listed 123 Main Street as available for rent. You own this home. Well, some fraudster would come, they would grab your photos, and they would themselves go list your property as for rent. And then people would contact them and would actually wire funds to someone who didn't own the property. It's awful. Um, it costs renters every year. It's, it's terrible. Um, it's a second it's, form of fraud. It, it happened, by the way. There's this entrepreneur who I interviewed. I don't think he's comfortable with me saying it publicly, but it happened to him. He came to San Francisco, doesn't have patience or time to go through and look too much. He found the place he liked. He wired the money so that he doesn't lose the, the rental and he wired it to a fraudster. And I don't know how it ended up, but last I heard, he was just trying to figure out how to get his money back. I don't think it's going to break him, but it was a good five, $10,000 deposit that was gone. And then the, the terrible feeling of having been ripped off like that. All right. So that's one. So they list it and then they get paid through you. And then you automatically start paying the money to the, to the fraudster. Well, that won't happen or that shouldn't happen directly through our system where, where that can occur is when the renter wires money from their bank account outside of avail because we've now got a lot of balances and a lot of the KYC processes in place to make sure that people who are using our payment system are who they say they are. Okay. So that's one. What's another one? The the second one is around payments. Um, And because we're, we're processing money from renter to landlord and removing millions of dollars of rent payments each month, um, there's unfortunately situations where let's say hypothetically you wanted to both a renter and a landlord account and you wanted to try and pay yourself and um, do some nefarious things like um, people, people unfortunately are try these things. 
Um, and it's, it's really unfortunate that, I mean, I often think about um, what must they be going through in life to make them so desperate to want to steal. I wonder um, if it's desperation it's or it's just, that's a fun hack. Let me see if I could pull it off. And then that's the only thing that comes to mind. I, I don't know. But you, you now have know. a system to block that. Have you been really ripped off? Do you have a bad experience? We had one or two really bad experiences early on in, in the company's um, existence. And in hindsight, I'm while it hurt back then to lose a couple thousand dollars, I'm grateful for that because um, it's a lot different losing a couple thousand dollars early on yeah. than getting to the scale of millions and then, oh shit. Yeah. Wow. And I love the name. of It's avail.co for anyone who's listening. What's the best part of having done this? You came up with the idea. You struggled hard. It's a five-year experience or so, right? must have seemed like 50. Now that you're done, what's the best part looking I've back? I've got no hair from it. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it looks good. What is the best part? What's the part that was worth all that suffering? You know, honestly, it was actually our building our team. Um, and being able to do this and sharing, um, sharing that experience with so many good, talented people um, that I think is the, my favorite part of the part of building this, this whole company um, has the, been the experience to interact and, and work with so many bright, talented people. Mm. It's not even that big. How big is your team? Right 30? now, we're about 50. 50 now. We're, we're about um, 50 and we're still hiring. And um, so hiring across sales, marketing operations, like um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, considering That's how big it. you got with such a small team, it's impressive. Congratulations on getting here. The website for anyone who's listening, if you are a landlord and you haven't digitized, I guess everyone in my audience, if they're doing anything, they're digitizing it. Go check out avail.co, A-V-A-I-L.co. I want to thank the two sponsors who, who made this interview happen. The first, if you're hosting a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. I'll be helping Ryan and his team if they want it to create their own podcast for landlords. And the second, if you've got a team of people that you're paying, if you go to rippling.com slash Mixergy, they'll make it easy for you to pay them. Even if they start to move from city to city, state to state, or even country to country, they'll help make that whole process easier rippling.com slash Mixergy. Thanks, Ryan. Great. Thank you, Andrew.